This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, January 17th, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. It's fair to say that the three previous occupants of the White House had better records than Barack Obama on trade, but that doesn't mean a good trade agenda in 2014 is dead. Daniel Eikenson, director of the trade policy studies at the Cato Institute, explains. Uh, under the George H.W. Bush administration, the, the Uruguay round was advanced almost to its conclusion. Uh, that produced the World Trade Organization. It was the last completed multilateral trade round that we've had. Um, Bill, Bill Clinton uh, was there to, to see it to, to, through the URAA, the Uruguay Round Agreement, uh, as was he, he facilitated the conclusion of the NAFTA. And, you know, he, he tried to get Trade Promotion Authority re- reinstated for himself, and he, he, was, he was outward looking. Uh, but he was denied fast track at the end of his tenure, uh, primarily because Democrats uh, did not want to give that to him. Uh, George W. Bush came into office and launched the Doha round in November 2001. He completed about a dozen trade agreements, mostly with smaller countries. Uh, but when he left office, uh, there were three agreements that he had completed that, uh, that uh, never passed Congress, one with Colombia, Korea, and Panama. And when the Democrats took control of Congress in January 2007, with two years remaining in, in Bush's term, they basically said, no more. Uh, we are shifting our emphasis from liberalization to enforcement, and we are not going to even see these through. And in fact, uh, President Bush, George Bush, George W. Bush uh, submitted the Columbia Agreement to Congress, and according to the Trade Promotion Authority legislation, they were supposed to consider it. Uh, and vote on it uh, within 90 days, but uh, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House at the time, decided to change the rules retroactively, and they did not consider the agreement. So one of the things that's going on now is Trade Promotion Authority has the legislation to restore it for President Obama has been introduced, but uh, it, 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 it gets a lot more credit for sort of insulating trade agreements from tinkering from Congress and commits Congress to, to do certain things. But that's not really true. Congress can really ultimately do whatever it wants, and it has breached these agreements in the past. And President Obama has uh, imposed some trade restrictions that uh, he felt were necessary, but probably uh, sour relationships with other countries. Yeah, you know, he, he came into office, uh, you know, when he campaigned, he said, uh, I'm not sure about these trade agreements and what they've done for our economy. And, uh, you know, if I'm elected, one of the first things I'm going to do in office is to reopen the NAFTA. Well, shortly after taking office, he, he called the, the president of Mexico and prime minister of Canada and effectively said, you know, just kidding, don't worry about that. But he didn't really lift a finger to uh, to get those pending three bilaterals through the Congress. He basically capitulated to the mood that was set by Senator Reid and, and, and Representative Pelosi. Uh, but after the midterm election in 2010, uh, where the Democrats took a, took a bit of a shellacking, as he put it, uh, he went to the business community and said, okay, I'm going to help you get these agreements through. And sure enough, in 2011, those three bilaterals did, did uh, uh, become ratified. And and beginning around that time, the administration was pursuing this trans-Pacific partnership negotiation with, at the time, which was about, there were about six countries. Uh, Since then, uh, other countries have joined, and it's now uh, 12 countries, if you include the United States. And 
allegedly they, they are near the conclusion of that negotiation. Um, but uh, I think there's a lot of meat left on that bone. And I think uh, we've seen some interest in moving the, tr- the trade agenda forward. Just last week, the Trade Promotion Authority legislation was introduced by uh, the, the uh, chairman and ranking member of the Senate Finance Committee and by the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. Conspicuously absent from sponsorship uh, was uh, Sander Levin, the ranking member on Ways and Means. He is unhappy with the idea of restoring Trade Promotion Authority. In fact, he's unhappy of any trade legislation that would liberalize trade or, or that is not sufficiently deferential to the interests of, of Detroit, <laughs> the Detroit automakers. So here we are, 2014. What should free traders be hoping for, looking for, expecting? Well, you know, free traders uh, have to uh, settle more or less. I mean, those of us who are interested in free trade would would, would take a different tack than than what is taken. You know, we we should be supportive of these free trade agreements, uh, even though the benefits to consumers and taxpayers are achieved sort of residually, sort of the crumbs of a big cake. I mean, these these trade agreements are all about advancing the interests of U.S. producers uh, and balancing those interests against NGOs, against labor unions' interests and environmentalists. Uh, Consumer interests aren't really well represented. Um, And, you know, the real, if you really believe in free trade, uh, consumers and taxpayers are the real beneficiaries. And we don't need to engage in these negotiations at all. We can just say, you know what, we're going to get rid of these tariffs. We're going to get rid of these stifling regulations. But instead, we play this game where we pretend our our barriers are are negotiating chits, that they're assets that we love and we want to hold on to. Um, So... It, maybe it would be hard for you to infer from that comment that I actually do support the effort for the TPP. Uh, but I do because it does uh, grant greater economic liberties at the margin. Um, I, I think we can support that and at the same time try to advance the cause of autonomous unilateral trade liberalization and make Americans more aware of the fact that they benefit uh, from access uh, to imports. One of the most free trade organizations I was happy to learn uh, is the Consumer Electronics Association uh, here. And it, it's not surprising why. They have parts and components that come from all over the world. They move all over the world. And then those final products then move all over the world. That, that's right. Something like 80% or over 80% of global trade is in intermediate goods. Uh, so if you impose duties or you frustrate the supply chains of these components coming into your economy, you are raising the cost of production for your own assemblers, producers, engineers, and and, and exporters. So uh, there really is a premium to be placed on openness and frictionlessness in in, in these supply chains. You know, we had the, uh, the, uh, the Great Recession a few years ago, and Lots of experts were talking about uh, the need to avoid protectionism, and the G20 countries were reassuring one another that they would not engage in this tit-for-tat 1930s-style protectionism. But the fact is there, there was a lot of uh, natural pressure on governments from within to remain open because so many businesses are reliant upon uh, imported intermediate goods and raw materials. And really, that obviates to me the sort of absurdity of having trade agreements. <laughs> we already we already have uh, 
interests that are telling governments to remain open if you want us to be competitive. Uh, why do we need to get this in writing? I, there is an argument that it would prevent backsliding if subsequent governments to come in and there's a populist who, who, who wants to, uh, you know, make overtures to particular constituents. Um, so th that, that holds some water. But the fact is we have not liberalized very much while these negotiations have been going on. You know, had the Doha round, which was the last multilateral round launched in 2001, which is now incomplete uh, and possibly off track for good, uh, had that been declared dead, or if it becomes declared dead, I think that would give more motivation to governments to say, you know what, let's stop treating our trade barriers as negotiating chits. Uh, let's let's view them as reforms, and let's just get let's make those reforms. Is unilateral disarmament, uh, for lack of a better term, with respect to trade, is that going to be on the table even in some narrow part of the economy? Yeah, you know, it is. Um, you know, unfortunately, it is called unilateral disarmament by which by is fine. It's fine. I like that term. <laughs> Except it's the wrong metaphor. You know, this is not a war. It's not a, uh, you know, trade is subjected to these, these, these sports metaphors, like it's us against them, our team against their team, and exports are our points and imports are the other team's points. And that, it's the wrong way to think about it. Because well, show, let's call it enhanced cooperation, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Well, look, there, there, there has been unilateral liberalization in various, uh, in small increments in the United States. We have something called the miscellaneous tariff bill, which, uh, you know, every Congress has has passed except the last one. Uh, the last one fell victim to uh, an internal battle among Repu the Republican Party uh, about whether or not suspending duties on particular products constitutes an earmark. And uh, that that battle basically sidetracked the miscellaneous tariff bill, which would remove duties on uh, intermediate goods under these conditions, there, there can't be domestic production, and uh, eliminating the duties can't amount to more than, I think, a $500,000 deprivation of customs revenues. <laughs> so very uh, uh, tight terms. But the concept could be graduated uh, to, if we recognize that almost 70% of the value of U.S. imports are intermediate goods. Uh, and that when we have taxes on them, we are raising the cost of production for U.S. businesses and making them less competitive. Once that sinks in, and once the business makes a compelling case, uh, I think we could could be on a different trajectory toward toward more true trade liberalization, toward unilateral trade liberalization. Dan Eikenson is Director of Trade Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.